Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Tunes. Today we're talking tunes with... German Ninja. Hey, German Ninja. How are you, man? Uh, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, getting over hump day, as they say in the US of A. <laughs> First tune up, Jabba War Pigs VIP. This tune is very much responsible for my love of breakcore. I've been listening to Jungle a year or so, maybe. It was my brother or one of my friends, Andrews, played me this. And I was a metalhead when I was a teenager or a younger teenager. And I just heard this tune and was like, ah, electronic music can be like, sort of like, it can be metal, it can be hard. And then that just sort of spawned a lifelong love of breakcore. So like I have this on vinyl and it's probably my most praised vinyl just because of the sort of slight sentimental value of it. Right, I have got vinyl I've paid more money for, but this one just has like extreme sentimental value. I've never actually played the record. <laughs> I just bought it to own it, which is going to piss off some vinyl users. Do you play vinyl or do you just have it on vinyl for the sake of it? Like So when I first started um, DJing back when I was like 15, 16, I played all vinyl. So my introduction to DJing was vinyl, and I still play vinyl uh, when I'm playing up in Scotland, generally. I, I, the reason I've stopped playing vinyl when I go play gigs elsewhere is just the, the hassle of carrying it. And also, most of my tunes aren't pressed, so if I want to play my own music, I have to do it digitally. That has sort of encouraged me to start using CDJs, which is what I use predominantly now, but that's mainly because of the, the ease. Um, I still love playing vinyl. The last like couple of weeks, actually, I've been digging out loads of my old vinyl and playing vinyl sets again at home. I'm sort of going, oh yeah, I'm a little bit rusty here, but yeah, it's been great fun. And I don't think I'll ever lose my love slash addiction for vinyl. I still buy loads of vinyl regularly. My flatmate laughs because if there's a knock on the door in the postman, it's most likely a record for me. To the point where I was, I was chatting to a friend recently, buying some records off him, and I was like saying, oh, I don't think I've got that one and that one and that one that you have. And he was like, no, you've already bought them off me. And I was like, yeah, I buy so many records, I forget which ones I've bought, which is kind of bad. <laughs> which is also why I've started trying to play vinyl sets, so I can be like, oh yeah, I actually know I have that vinyl because I've played it three or four times. But yeah. Darkness world stops turning Ashes where the body's burning So my original yeah, love of DJing came from playing vinyl and a lot of the songs in this show, especially the electronic music ones, are all ones that I bought on vinyl and that's how I first discovered the music. This is just also going back to Jabba Warpigs as a track. I've always loved the way that he sort of reconstructed all the guitar melodies and stuff as like greasy, dirty bass lines and just added this like chaotic Amen track on top. Just still gets me going to this day. Every time I hear it, I just want to like jump in a mosh pit and just lose my shit in a good way. <laughs> 
It's really hectic. It's fantastic. I've heard many people do uh, a version uh, of this track. Uh, I think this has got to be one of the better ones I've heard as well. So, uh, yeah, really interesting. Yeah. I still think it's the pinnacle one, but because um, I don't think I've heard one. No, I've heard some that are, you know, they're well made, but I just don't think they have the same sort of energy to them. There's something, you know, there's something quite punky and metal in its attitude. This tune, which a lot of the other ones have kind of taken it and turned it into a drum and bass or a techno track or something, which they're really good. Um, I was listening to the Gore Tech one earlier today, just coincidentally, and it's. You know, I was into this, like, this is a really great track, and Gore-Tex, like, what a, such an amazing producer for the quality of his sounds, but I, I don't feel like I could lose my shit to it as much as I lose my shit to this track. It's like every Bang Face, for instance, because they always play it at Bang Face on the last day. It's like, just straight in the mosh pit, no holes barred, not thinking about my well-being. <laughs> Yeah, so you've managed to mention I've got this on vinyl and bang face. I'm going to make a scoreboard of uh, catchphrases for, for people to say on this show as well. Oh, man. Yeah, bang face. I think I, I, just about everyone I've talked to on this show so far is somewhat related to bang face. And I remember talking to you uh, the last one, um, and that's when you explained to me where the Jammin Ninja come from, right? Yes, so the name Jam and Ninja is, uh, I believe it's called a palindrome. So I've taken my first name Benjamin and taken the Jammin at the end of it. And if you write Jammin backwards, you get Nimaj and kind of change the J and the A around and you get Ninja. And when I came up with the name, I was basically exclusively into listening to Ragga Jungle. So it made sense to turn the J into an AH. So yeah. So it's a bit of a palindrome. I also know, is it Noisia? Yeah, Noisia. They got their name by writing the word vision and putting a mirror next to it. Ah. And if you look at it backwards, it comes Noisia. I did not know that. So that kind of gave me the idea to do it, I think, because I was listening to a bit of drum and bass as well. But yeah, at that point in time, I was just going mad for Ragga Jungle, much like this tune by Cringer that we're listening to. <laughs> Anyway, Cringer, this was the era of jungle that I discovered. So when I was 15, 16, I think this came out when I was 15, this was the sort of jungle that was being pushed a lot. And all the vinyl records that I was buying were all American and Canadian, so North American labels, pushing out stuff like this, which I guess you can very much hear in the sound of music I make. And this tune especially, just, again, still love it, still go wild for it. But yeah, so discovering people like Cringer and Polly Walnuts and Twin Hooker and uh, General Malice and all those people and the labels that were pushing that out, that just sort of completely flipped music for me and made me go, this is amazing, this is kind of what I want to do. And that's sort of what inspired me to start producing music. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's when I first got copies of Reason all the way, all those years ago. It's, you know, Reason's still going, but to me it seems like another lifetime. And I just, I still love that kind of like clashy, upbeat, reggae sounds just mixed with the really sort of, I can't calling them quite militant amens because they sound a bit like gunfire and stuff. And I know all that comes from sort of taking from dancehall clash, sound clashes and things, so. That's a good way of describing it, actually, yeah, militant jungle. I, I've often wondered because it's like, it's it's an interesting sort of 
type of jungle. I, I know certainly, um, you know, around 2000 thereabouts, North America, uh, you know, USA, Canada, came out with a lot of wicked, wicked jungle. Um, and it really, for me, reignites my little jungle because I feel like, you know, 96 started going too much towards, you know, drum and bass and jazzy sort of, God knows what the hell. I thought the jungle had lost its way and then just the North American just totally blew it up again. I'd had a bit of exposure to sort of drum, bass and jungle through my dad at this point because he was a big fan of like chemistry and soul and Ronnie Size and people like that and I had been listening to drum and bass a bit before that sort of more like Dillinger and Andy C and the more like mainstream commercial stuff and I can't remember the first the first ever Raga Jungle tune I heard but I remember I just fell in love with it straight away just for the fact that it was just chaotic in then from that I kind of looked back to the 90s jungle because I was definitely like I grew up in the 90s but I wasn't old enough to go to any of the raves and things so I was kind of rediscovering that music five ten years later and going back and finding this whole like the ragged jungle started back in sort of 94 95 even earlier but the sort of that sort of sound and then these guys were sort of uh, bringing it back in their own way I definitely think the American stuff was, like I say, more militant than a lot of the stuff that was coming out of the UK back in the 90s. Well, you hear things like the snare rolls and what have you. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the sort of stuff that would come out of sub-bass or some of the heavier jungle from the mid-early 90s anyway, so 92, 93, 94. Oh yeah, definitely. You can definitely hear all the influences and the, like how jungle sort of develops and constantly calls back on itself. Yeah, I definitely. I keep finding records because I'm discog addict as well. I spend lots of times on discogs just like trolling for music when I'm a bit a bit bored. And I keep finding labels or tracks, and I listen to it. And I'm like, that could have been produced in the 2000s. It's like almost indistinguishable. But I'm sure the press quality is different. <laughs> Have you heard much of the uh, jungle techno sound that seems to be coming, making a bit of a comeback as well? Yeah, so I'm quite like the jungle techno sound because, again, you've got the sort of more scatty, unusual breaks on top. Um, yeah. I got a bit bored of the jungle tech thing that was I was into for a few years and I wrote a lot of music along those lines, but I do think my stuff was definitely more jungle with a bit of tech beneath it where and that's kind of what i get from jungle techno is you still it's very it's still very breaks driven rather than being like more about the kick drum and that's as much as i like a good kick drum and we all like a good trick drum i hope <laughs> but uh yeah i've always it's always the break beats and the sort of any glitchiness or any sort of unsyncopated rhythms that's what really catches my attention yeah keeps keeps you locked on and locked in You've talked about breakcore, you've talked about jungle, and you've uh, picked Lime Wax Cracking Core as your third tune. Bit of a combination of both, right? So yeah, I think when I first heard Limewax and I guess this is a skull step, tech step, I'm never really sure how to class this kind of drum and bass because I was really into metal and heavy music and I found Jungle and I was listening to quite a bit of breakcore and I heard this and I just like fell in love straight away. I was just like, someone has taken all the, the energy of like thrash metal and put it into electronic music. It's another absolute love of mine is this sort of hero drum and bass as well. I don't think drum and bass 
there's some great stuff coming out, but I just don't, personally don't feel that it's ever quite come to the same pinnacle as it was back then. And it's like this tune in particular, because this was one of the first EPs of that style I bought, and it's just like screechy noises, dark samples, like really, really like pots and pans, clangy drums. And I was just like, this is what a lot of metal and punk and stuff does, you know, in the hardcore, um, hardcore as in hardcore punky metal stuff rather than hardcore techno. It's all about those kind of like more industrial kind of hard harsh sounds it just spoke to me in the same way that music did i like the way every now and again it just tips over to the vocal you know it's just like all chaos and it's just like a word and it's back to the chaos again you know i like that style I also just like some of the words that he's chosen. I don't know what he's on about in Cracking Core. I don't know where he's got the sample from off the top of my head, but just, yeah, as you see, it sort of almost like sucks in and just goes crack. And you're just, it's, it's, it really, it almost makes you laugh. Crack. But it's so well processed that it sounds really dark. And I'm assuming it's probably from a horror film or something like that, as most of this era drum basses samples were, because the amount of horror films and cool films I've discovered by listening to drum and bass hearing the sample and then going and finding out what it's from. <laughs> so this was 2005 when this came out. And it was also like on Discovering Limewax, finding out at that time that he was the same age as me and being like, oh, you know, I can do this. So it kind of spurred me on to sort of carry on trying to learn to produce music and sort of follow that edge of things, even though this was just before I went and did my undergrad at art school. So I was also aspiring to be like an artist or a filmmaker or something. So it was kind of stuck in this, like, I want to do creative things, but I can't work out which one is really for me. And I think in the end, obviously, music one over quite substantially. I think a lot of that's to do with just, um, there's some sort of emotive power that music will always have over other art forms, at least for myself. I get people like yourself on talking tunes, people who are clearly passionate about music and it's an emotional subdermal layer of your skin, it's music man, you know? Finding music like this also led me to start going to free parties in and around Edinburgh and that's where I sort of found like hard tech and European techno and hardcore gallery stuff and it also sort of bled in and I, that's what inspired me and my friends and my brother to build uh, our sound system based in Ladin or BBL as it's more commonly you know back when we were I was 16 odd when we built our first speakers and we started doing our parties which is I guess a kind of young age I'm sure there's quite a few people similar to me yeah because we were sort of post 90s generation so the the lifestyle and the scene had built up and there was a lot of kids I guess we were kids yeah and teenagers sort of looking back and wanting to do that because that's kind of I started going to free parties and being like oh there's these all these crazy alternative people who like this crazy alternative electronic music 
I found my people and I want to do this. And also like some of my closest friends to this day I met through those kind of events and this kind of music and the people I started my sound system with who are still some of my closest friends. We were all around the same age, give or take three or four years maybe. And that's kind of how we all sort of glued together as a group was through this sort of crazy music uh, and wanting to do free parties and make a lot of noise in obscure places. And, and for the younger folks out there, Bin Laden, that's a reference to some bad man from many years ago. Uh, and he's the reason why we can't bring a bottle of water onto a plane, right? Yeah, so yeah, Bin Laden was leader of Al-Qaeda way back when and was the big focus of media attention for this reason. I'm sure everybody still knows who he is, but it's just like, that was, man, that's like 20 years ago now, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy to think how long ago that was. But to be honest, we call ourselves Space from Laden because being teenagers, we thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> we thought that was the funniest thing ever. some tracks of the sort of other music I was listening to and not just electronic stuff around the same time. I think for this Talking Tunes I've picked mostly sort of pinnacle tracks for me in my musical journey and a lot of them were all around the same time, sort of 15, 16, 17 years old where I think basically my musical tastes were very much crafted. I had my own taste but I was listening to a lot of what my peers were listening to and my parents introduced me to. But for the Pixies, because I've been listening to a lot of metal and stuff, and I always did like rock, but I think my dad, like, burned me, like, some CDs, and Pixies, uh, Surfer Rosa and Common Pilgrim was one of them. And I just listened to it and just went, this music is, it's screechy, it's got attitude, it's punk, but it's also kind of floaty, and you can kind of dance to it. I just fell in love with it. Yeah, it's got a sort of scat influence. Yeah, scat. It's also kind of surfer rocky as well. And I just think there isn't really any other lyricist quite like Frank Black. He just, he has a way with words, especially this tune, talking about like sticking your tongue in my ear, let's go, baby, let's talk, politics go so good with beer. Just all these kind of wonderful lyrics that just like, I just thought they were so kind of like, edgy and kind of at that time I just felt like that speaks to me more than any of the pop music any of the the more commercial new music you heard around and I remember I used to listen to this album on repeat like all the time it's also been the the sort of uh, the building of many friendships that come from finding a love of pixies and finding someone else who loves the pixies just randomly you put it on in a in a party situation and someone comes over and starts talking to you and you just end up having this like connection because it's like to like the pixies you kind of have to have a, be a bit quirky i guess <laughs> i didn't realize the pixies are an american band i was sort of a british band maybe i'm like mishearing the accents here but i didn't realize that yeah, I, I think I was always aware they were American, mainly because of the, it kind of sounds surfer rocky, um, and I think that's why I kind of realised it. But just, I just to this day, I can listen to all of their music and I still love it. And it's, still, it's, it's super nostalgic as well, obviously, having listened to it since a teenager.
So now you're really going down the route of, oh, I've got this on vinyl. This tune now, the bass are laid to rest, which you cannot find anywhere on the planet, except in your vinyl collection. So yeah, uh, I picked this tune specifically because the first ever lot of Ragga Jungle records I ever bought, this is one of them from uh, Outlook.co.uk, which no longer exists, which was without Outlook, I wouldn't have discovered most of the Ragga Jungle that I loved. So I don't know who used to run it, but thank you very much. <laughs> I have to have to say thanks there. But yeah, this is one of the first ones I ever bought, which is why I picked it. To this day, there's, I still love it. It's, it sounds very raw compared to a lot of the sort of more modern jungle production-wise. The vinyl cut is not great. Boom, 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 shot him, can't stop it. There's uh, elements of uh, Ragged Jungle which is quite political and I think this song's got some elements of that in its lyrics and uh, at that time being a teenager you're sort of discovering yourself, you're finding your own political beliefs and I found a lot of this music kind of reverberated that as well. But one of my favourite parts of this tune is just where it sort of goes destruction and then just sort of goes much heavier all of a sudden because up to that point it was kind of more floaty at night and I just love that kind of like sudden switch, here's, here's time for chaos you know. <laughs> I think it's just here. I've always loved that drop. I just always love that drop. I think subconsciously I knew that was coming. Perfect timing. I've just always loved music that just that's kind of why I love breakcore and jungle, is just the way it can chop and change, it can have many dimensions. And sort of why I moved away from drum and bass a lot more at that point because it's not as repetitive. And I think also why I've kind of moved away from hard techie kind of sounds as well. There's just like I like things not being consistent. That get that excites me. I think you listen to like metal and rock and things and quite often they do they have different sections they change a lot and melodies change more regularly than electronic music does as much as you know I can enjoy a more repetitive track at the same time but yeah I think this is something that really caught my attention as well up to that point I've all of the electronic music I was hearing was more commercial stuff you'd hear on the radio like Fatboy Slim and people were allowed to think of obvious names from that sort of time and as much as I enjoyed his music at the time. I always found it like quite monotonous at points. But yeah, I definitely got a lot for just chaos and sound. <laughs> And again, this is another one of those uh, North American early 2000s artists. Yeah, so he's from Toronto. He's, he was very active in the 2000s and then it kind of fell off the radar. I don't know specifically what happened to him. I'm sure there are people out there that did. This one is specifically on his label called Zion's Gate, which is a Seattle-based uh, record store. And I bought a lot of records from them at points that I couldn't get in the UK back when postage charges weren't so high. And I still, one day, when I, if I ever visit the US, I am going to make a pilgrimage to Zion's Gate Records because they know they have lots of this sort of stuff still in stock. They've got like a back stock of it because there's a lot of this stuff that you can't get very easily in the UK or Europe. So it's very expensive. Definitely going to go there one day. Seattle looks also looks like a cool place to visit. 
DJK as well, he's quite influential in that whole scene. Yeah, it's just another producer who made that sort of militant, clashy kind of sounds. Because he's he's Canadian, isn't he? And he's now based in... Ontario, I think. Ontario, yeah. And now he's based in Europe. I forget where. No, no, he went back. He was in Germany for a while. And then he went back to uh, Canada, yeah. Uh, I've still never been to Canada. We'd like to visit one day. After the global uh, pandemic is over, you know, the end of the world, which wasn't the end of the world, quite... Sure, but he's coming out on Murder Channel uh, in Tokyo, Japan, right? 2014, featuring Rotator. It's got to be breakcore, right? Yeah. So I would, I would still class this as breakcore, even though it's a bit more of not hard techno. No, I wouldn't say it's hard techno. It's a bit, it's much faster than a lot of hard techno. I also think it's got more glitchy break beats and cuts in it and things. Uh, I'm only picking this tune because. I wanted to put some sort of Cardo Pusher, Rotator, all these kind of that era of breakcore tracks in. And this is one that I will still play out to this day, still gets people really, really hyped. Uh, I still absolutely love it. And it's just a very, mm. it's a very kick-driven 4x4, really, really energy-filled, like fist-pumping kind of tune. But it's just got great, lovely, glitchy, ragged breaks, glitchy break beats on top. It kind of, it's not quite consistently 4x4. It has enough kind of choppiness in it to keep my attention. So yeah, that's why I picked I could have picked many tunes from Carter Pusher's um, back catalogue. I just felt this one also because Rotator as well is another uh, producer that I have a lot of respect and a lot of uh, time for in that sense. Like, I still listen to the stay even though he doesn't produce anymore and I still think it's raw and cutting edge and still something I reference to go like, mm, get some inspiration. I'm going to listen back to that era of music. I remember actually going to see Rotator, a friend of mine had booked him in Edinburgh and me and a bunch of my friends all got kicked out of the gig for having far too violent a mosh pit for the venue because they weren't used to that. Uh, it's a venue in Edinburgh. It's been called many things. Uh, I think it was called the Whiskey Rooms and then or the QRC or something. But anyway, it's not really important. But like, it's more of like, they're all used to like student-orientated nights and house and like live sort of indie bands. And my friend had booked it for Rotator and me and my friends just kind of lost our shit and started a massive mosh pit and all got huckled by the bouncers and taken out for being far too ratchy. Because they, they, they thought we were like disturbing other people where in Edinburgh, it's a relatively small scene. Uh, it's got much smaller these days, but like, yeah, like when I when we used to go out to a club, you would know most of the crowd. We kind of all know each other. You all kind of have friends in common and stuff. Uh, so no one was really that bothered by us having like crazy mosh pits. Half the time they would jump in because a lot of the people who were going to break on ice were ex-metalheads and things like this. So I say ex, they're still metalheads, but you know, listen to metal when they were younger. Um, 
but I just don't think the bouncers were prepared for it at all. Edinburgh's got quite a good scene, I would have thought. Um, I'm thinking like Pie-Eyed Crew, they used to do stuff, didn't they? Um, uh, they were Glasgow. Pie-Eyed was Glasgow. Oh, look at me and my ignorance. <laughs> but no, Edinburgh, when I was 15, 16, and when I was younger, definitely had a really big scene for like break concerts and stuff. There was quite a few different nights running, Audacious being one of them, Wobbly being another. There was also like more like uh, Combustion, which was more like industrial hardcore GABA, but they definitely had like people like Eli Muff and Breakcore I up to play. Uh, then you got to like probably 2012, somewhere in that era, maybe a bit later actually, maybe 2015. And it just sort of started to die out and more commercial uh, nights just seemed to take over. The scene just seems to get smaller and nowadays there's not many. There's, I run a night called Mutiny, which does jungle and breakcore and a bunch of stuff. Uh, Audacious isn't running anymore. There's some smaller crews who do like smaller nights. There's not much in sort of like big venue stuff anymore. Where you used to go to like hard drum and bass nights or breakcore nights and they'd be packed out in some of the larger venues. Who's it that brought Toe Cutter to Edinburgh then? A couple of years back. Was that Audacious? Uh, that was Audacious. So a guy called Adam runs that. Uh, and he, he was always really good, for, and Tom, who ran Audacious before him, uh, were always really good for booking quite obscure breaker acts. Mutiny, uh, I was studying my undergrad at the time, so I wasn't involved when it first started, but we booked quite a few breaker acts and things as well, but we were booking a lot more like hard on bass. We had Lime Wax and the Pansia. We also had people like DJ Producer, Machine Code, Con Valley. Um, yeah, just got off the top of my head. They also had lots of like more jungle acts, lots of, a lot of the Life of Land crew came up because they were pretty good pals with one of the guys who was in our crew at that time. So there was a period where it was quite big and that was kind of the period where I was really getting into clubbing and then it all quietened down. A lot of people just didn't have the energy for it, but I, I don't know. I, I think everyone's got their own story for why they either stopped doing events or didn't have time for it. Because our club mutiny that I run now, that kind of stopped for a while because the guy who was kind of driving it moved to Bristol and then it got picked up by another guy in our crew for a few years and then he moved away and then it, I picked up again a few years after that. So it kind of came in waves. Ups and downs and who knows what's going to happen after the coronavirus and we all get back to normal. People should see uh, how gigs return and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm. I'm kind of holding back on booking an event because... Watch and wait and see, yeah. Uh... But we had one event fully booked with FFF and Tim Reaper, which I was really, really excited for. Oh, wicked. Uh, that we had to cancel and haven't been able to re-rate. And then I was in the works of booking another event, but just because things have been so uncertain, I haven't been chasing off venues or racks because I don't want to book something out and then we have to be cancelled again, which happened to a lot of people, so... And it's hard enough to break even doing gigs that alone know fully well you've just dropped a few hundred quid on hotel bookings flights oh yeah artist bookings and all the rest of it for it just to be cancelled because boris johnson fucked it up again breaking even for me these days is a bloody achievement <laughs> though we have had some really big nights in the last five years or so i gotcha i mean you have some you win some you lose but on average you're breaking even right yeah uh, we did one with uh, uk jungle and green bay wax two years ago now and that was probably the best night we've done in a while, just for numbers. That's an exciting bit, isn't it? When you have a gig and you're like, is it going to work out, isn't it going to work out? 
and it's a beautiful night, you know, it's still quite warm from the summer or something like that, you know, and it just sort of pops off and before you know it, the venue's jammed, you're like, fucking hell, this is amazing. Yeah, I, I was quietly confident that night would do quite well because Green Bay Wax, uh, I've played up here a few times before and they've always pulled a big crowd. We had Percussive P back-to-back with Kid Libs, so we wanted to do a back-to-back thing. So um, Tony Jungle, who's, he lives in Edinburgh, who I'm pretty pally with, because he's part of UK Jungle, he managed to get a back-to-back with Super 8, so that was a, a debut in Scotland as well. And then we had me and a, a friend of mine doing this back-to-back supporting slot, so it was quite. It kind of had like a bit of a vibe. It was a back-to-back night, lots of cool Jungle labels. And I guess I've been, just because I'm a Jungle fan, I've been doing a, moving more towards Jungle, but I do want to do some breakcore nights again. We've also had um, people like Al Twisted and Rob the Rhythm and done hardcore things in the last few years as well. And we had the Fractal up, when was that? 2018 as well. So we do, I think that's the thing with my night is it's not a consistent night for the genre. <laughs> so I think, in fact, I've definitely spoke to people when I've been on door who've come expecting it to be a jungle night and we've got like some crazy breakcore artists playing and they'll be like, uh, I don't know if I like this music. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> so we're almost out of time on this one um, and I never got to reveal that Rotator is the guy that wins Peace Off kicking ourselves on that one right oh bloody hell there. that should have been obvious like <laughs> DJ Lab I've absolutely loved ever since I first heard him and I had to pick this song because it was a really really big hit with my group of friends and a sort of another group of promoters who ran a tent at a festival and a club night called The Warp Up and I would play this tune at every time I played for them and everyone just used to go wild for it and yeah it was just one of those tunes that once I found I used to play in every set for about three or four years <laughs> but yeah just lots of love for DJ Lab um, oh, he was a big inspiration because he was making a lot of the stuff's a bit more atmospheric but still ragged jungle and I was kind of like that's in tune to the sort of style I was making so yeah to Rage Against the Machine, Born of a Broken Man. Again, different sort of vibe. So yeah, so I'm calling back to my sort of earlier musical interests. So I've always loved Rage Against the Machine because of their political aspect. Um, 
I was brought up in quite a, a left-wing, politically active family. So I was born in a squatters' cooperative in London before I moved to Edinburgh. My dad used to take us on all the marches when we were young and all this kind of thing. And I think because I was getting into metal and heavier music, and that was kind of ringing to me. And then hearing that with this like political drive was really, really interesting. They're also just, you know, they've got, they've got elements of hip hop and the rapping and stuff, which is really cool and it's really nice to hear. Integrated, and no, there was a, quite a lot of that going on in that sort of new metal era. These guys predate that a bit, but I just don't think anyone quite did it as well as Rage. They try to escape across the street where Jesus stripped bare and raped the spirit he was supposed to nurture. In the name of mine, in the name of mine. Zad de la Roche has got an amazing lyricism to him, he's got a wave of words, just like lines like in this, um, he's in frustrating rape spirit he was supposed to nurture. It's just things like that, it's just so dark. It's, uh, and I know this song is actually one of their more political driven songs, it's actually about Sadler Ross's father who had like a mental breakdown and then suddenly became this fundamentalist Christian, it broke his family apart, but um, I just think he's always had such a articulate way of putting things and it really speaks to me and again it's this music where uh, to this day i could probably recite you all the lyrics of every raid song <laughs> quite easily um listen to it a lot when i was younger i still absolutely love it even like within my like close group of friends we all listen to metal and stuff when we were younger and we kind of all met each other through metal as well as through free pies but metal was another thing that we sort of gelled on Forever awake, he lies shaking and starving, playing for someone to turn off the light. Someone that knows a bit about audio engineering, I say you can uh, really appreciate the sound of these guitars. Oh yeah, like uh, Tom Morello's guitar playing is really unique, and they've just got a way of sounding really gritty, but quite up. I don't know, upbeat's not the right word, but it's clean and it's warm and it's, it's full of life. Like, because other metal bands, they're just raw and thrashy and then in your face, which I love as well. But these guys have always had a warmth to them. There's also, when I was sort of 13, 14, I had aspirations to maybe be in a rock or metal band. And listening to Rage Against Machine got me to start taking drum lessons. I wanted to be a drummer just because I always loved, uh, I forget the drummer's name off the top of my head right now. Brad Wilk, that's his name. Just loved his way of drumming. It's kind of like, it's kind of hip hoppy. It's kind of got this like, groove to it that's kind of got hip-hop but it's done with like energy and aggression i guess and kind of spirit that's that's so much more lively than hip-hop drums i was watching a, a funny old thing you know the foo fighters uh, dave Grohl was saying that when he's in nirvana the style of drumming he, he had was very much copied from disco music that's an interesting influence mm, wow that's quite interesting i've not heard that before
Kadamawe Muslasia Ha, ya nastlin Yo, i back for city and Salva This is Baba I was born when I was into sort of more techie music, CCB Charlie was a big inspiration for me because his stuff is so clean, so warm. It's also got that atmospheric kind of feel to it. It's not kind of more crowd pleasing necessarily. I always found his music was kind of a bit darker. And I picked this tune just because it's, I think it's one of his best to this day. Also, again, it's got a bit of a political lyric to it, which I think was really good. And I think that's why, I think some of the sort of ragtag that I first heard, like you had like Mr. Politician and stuff by Vandal. And I kind of liked that because it was kind of politicized. Um, but yeah, I still think CCB is one of my favorite techno producers out there just because her sound is so him. Like you hear his tunes and you just know it's one of his tunes. He's also become a good friend, so that adds adds to enjoying someone's music because you can be like, this is someone I know and I respect made this and I can really get behind that, so yeah. And he's part of the uh, Amen for Techno crew down there in Bristol, run by Mandy. Yeah, so he's part of Amen for Techno. I first met him for the Eurasian crew because my, uh, yeah, the Brighton crew, um, I don't think they're running anymore, really. Because I kind of met a few of them, so like Charlie and Jimmy General Waste and Jerome Catch Pyro and people over the years. And then uh, my girlfriend had was part of that crew in Brighton. So like when we sort of first met, that was something we spoke about and connected with. And it was just one of these coincidences. So I got to know the Eurasian crew much, much better through her because obviously she's still my partner to this day. So they were like, my friends are your friends kind of vibe. And like as much as I don't listen and play that much tech these days, stuff like this, I still will put drop in a set because I still really enjoy it and I think it fits with some of the other stuff. Again, I say sort of atmospheric, more moody stuff that I'm quite into. I do also do like fill on just upbeat, ragged, clashy sets as well. But if I'm playing something a bit harder and darker, stuff like this can be a nice segue from jungle into breakcore kind of sounds or even when I'm playing hardcore, which I do on occasion. I love this sort of music when it goes into the, the hard kick section, you know, the the more vocally, you know, easygoing sections don't really do it for me. But when it goes into that real 4-4 hard tech sound, I love it, absolutely love that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's like a lot of CFB's music has quite a sort of build to it. It's about a bit about like the journey through the tune. So I think this is one of them. So it's kind of like, I think from the lyrics and stuff, it's building up this sort of anger about being not accepted by the system and not being looked after. And then you get that drop of that kick and it's like, this is the aggression almost, Like this is the, the frustration I have with the system. And that makes sense. I think that's kind of how, how I always read the, the build of this track. So there's also, I think it's so it could give the lyrics and space to really hit home. I don't think they would have been as present if he'd had that really dirty kick the whole way through. Corrupt the system, it doesn't give a fuck up. 
you know me, know the life of all lovely kids. Ah. I keep my gun loud, and never none. Things get freak. That's just how I live. That's me, yeah. As it, I was. You had a track out the other day, you sent it on to me, and you referred to it as Clash Core. Um, and that just totally nailed the sound to me, which I've, I've loved for a long time, but I've never really been able to put a name to it. Not a huge amount of music out there that you could really call Clash Core, but this sort of sound you're hearing now, you know, a track that's just this. Yeah. With lots of different changes up, I would call it's Clash Core, right? Would you call that Clash Core? I mean, where, where are you getting that name from? I, I would still call this like uh, Ragatech, personally. I mean, this is obviously Ragatech, but what I'm saying is the sort of, you know, the, the, the raspy bass would be a, a key element in Clash Core. Yeah, you would definitely have something like that in Clash Core. Like, I use the term Clash Core for people like Mr. Bad Monkey, and I guess some some of the stuff like Jungle Fever and Stiffs did on Bomber Cuts, that kind of like Ragacore sound, but it's, it's more scatty and it's like really rough rough drums and things. That's kind of what I call it. So, so it's kind of, it's Ragacore, but it's, it's, uh, it's not so driven by the 4x4. It's not so driven by that. It's like, it's the more kind of like, just really, really rough sounding, almost, almost like clashy Raga Jungle, but just that. 200 plus BPM kind of stuff with nice kick drums behind it <laughs> at times. I'm thinking of the stuff made by people like Slim Sinner or uh, Riggy Smalls. They're, they're just unbelievable craziness. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely made some of it, yeah. He's got some brilliant tracks out, yeah. Another person who makes like quite a variety, so he's got some really lovely sort of local jungle techno stuff, and then he's got a bunch of sort of Clash Corey and then like um, Death Chanty kind of hardcore break Corey tunes. And I just love the fact that he's got a diversity. Yeah, so a bit of trivia, probably nobody knows this, um, but I was speaking to Slim Sinner, I'm like, yeah, we should do an interview sometime, and I'm thinking, how can I make an interview just a bit more interesting? And I thought, oh, let's do it, talking tunes. And that was going to be the very first talking tunes. So, Elliot, if you're listening, mate, I've been waiting a year to sort it out. <laughs> sort your shit out. <laughs> Everyone's waiting, mate. You're on the clock. <laughs> I've wanted to talk to him for, for donkey's years. Yeah, man. I've been, been waiting for him for years. The whole talking tunes thing, the idea spawned from the idea of doing an interview with him. So I thought it'd be, it'd be a great one to talk to him about music, you know? Uh, it took you to about probably about a year to get me on or something, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, yeah, man, totally, yeah. Oh, it's like dragging teeth, but there you go. Uh, I have no more to stand on, but I'll happily wind up, Elliot. <laughs> I used to sound bad. So, another top name in the game, uh, end user. Um, not so distant drums. So, this is uh, Bollywood and Bangra music. So, this is off an EP called uh, Bollywood Breaks. This was another EP that I absolutely fell in love with the first time I heard with, because I was like, ah, Breakcore and hard dance music can be kind of ethnic, it can be a bit out there, you know? Um, this is another track I played far, far too often, I would have to say. It was in almost every set of mine for many years, but yeah. Because I've always been a big fan of Induce's sound, and he's got this really lovely, dark, atmospheric sound, and he's got some great sort of ragga Corey, Clash Corey tunes out there as well. But again, looking back at my group of friends and my sound system, this was one of the tunes that we all got together, and we all sort of loved, and whenever we played, someone played it, we'd all jump up and dance. Yes, has a lot of sentimental kind of uh, memories attached to it as well. So this woman singing is called—I think you might find she's called Lata Mengashkar. Lata Mengashkar. That's what I'm singing. This, I would guess. She's really big for this style of singing. Yeah. 
end user runs the Sonic Terror label as well. I'm sure you've probably tuned into that frequency, right? A lot of good stuff coming out of Sonic Terror as well. Yeah, so listen to a lot of Sonic Terror. I think I actually bought a bunch of their stuff last Friday when it was Bandcamp Friday. <laughs> I quite often uh, wait till Bandcamp Friday before I buy any digital music because I'm all for musicians getting a good cut. <laughs> yeah, you get that email. Someone sent you money on Bandcamp buying your stuff. And you're like, oh, right, I got this much money. Oh, yeah, but then we took this much cut. And then the credit card processing took this much cut. And it's in your PayPal. And if you want to take it out of PayPal, they're going to take a cut. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's slightly annoying the cuts, but of Bandcamp of all the online music streaming and sort of distributing distribution sites, I kind of prefer them because um, they are actually quite in tune with like indie artists and small labels and things that give them the opportunity, uh, and they are very supportive more so than big streaming things like Spotify and Apple and all that, which we could I could moan about for hours, but I'm not going to because it's a very different discussion. But you've got things like um, Underground Techno and stuff, which is another small one, and there's a few like online uh, like record stores that now do for underground music in and around Europe, which are quite good. But I think Bandcamp for like being for being how big it is and how much support they actually give you as artists. Like, and the gateway to entry is nothing. You can, anyone can just go in there and start putting music up there, straightforward. I like the way you just get the whole tune to listen to in the preview, whereas you go on Juno, I don't know if you ever use Juno download, man, but you go on there and it's like, oh, I'll give you three seconds of this, and you're like, oh, I want to listen to this bit. Oh, okay, we'll wait for your slow internet to catch up, and then you can listen to another three seconds of the tune. I'm like, ah, I can do without that. Yeah, but then again, like, I remember when I was buying vinyl, often you would only get, like, a minute long cut. So there's a lot of vinyl I've bought over the years, so like, that sounds like a good tune from what I've heard, but it could be just that bit's good. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I'd say, I'd say 90% of the time it's a good tune, but yeah. So we're back to North America again with Capital J, Dis the Program, another raw vinyl rip from you yourself. Yeah, so this tune I think was my big exposure to proper clashy jungle. And it's also, it's kind of a bit break quarry, it's a bit clash quarry, to coin the phrase that we've been using. It's got quite, you know, it's got more dirty bass, but there was a lot of stuff like uh, General Malice, N2O, Nitrous Oxide recordings were putting out a sort of dirtier sound than, say, other labels like Mad Dem and things, which was a bit more, say, atmospheric and thrivey and then cringer stuff on Hand Grenade and that, which was a bit more upbeat. And I just, I think I really love this because, again, I like clashy, rough music, I like metal, and this kind of has sort of throwbacks to that, you could say, because of its sort of dirty bass lines and things, but this is full-on clash ragga jungle. It's just ragga clash samples, mashy breaks, just really dirty bass, yeah. And this is another tune which I still go wild for if I ever hear someone playing it. And I guess it's kind of got a little bit of political work to diss the program, da da da, but it's, that's kind of like a side note, I would say. <laughs> I love this track. It was an absolute ball leg to mix in. Not so bad to mix out of. Because <laughs> it's basically got no intro, so it's always like one of those like, yeah. wait for like some point where you can do like a really, a, a, pit, a really bad spin back and then just drop it. <laughs> but it's got a nice rolling end to it, which was really good for mixing out of. It's a shame because Capital J 
made some like a bunch of music like this for a while, and then he just went into more like jump poppy, drum and bassy stuff, and I've never really enjoyed it since he got went like that. But like his early stuff, oh, it's, it's really amazing. I've got quite a few records of his early stuff, which don't play out as much these days, but I still drop this fairly regularly if if the time is right. <laughs> I'm still reminded now of. Um the great loss of 2020 at Bangface where the Sound Murderer, for good reason, Mike, for good reason, didn't, didn't want to make the trip across the Atlantic. Sound Murderer at Bangface, that would have been... Yeah, that was probably the, the main act I was excited for that year. There was also the Ragaterra front takeover and... Was that the year that had the Peace Off takeover? And Peace Off was 2019. 19, that was 19, yeah. They all blur into one, you know. It, it's a, a wild wave of excitement and fun that whole weekend. And the like, week or so afterwards, it takes to recover from it, but yeah. <laughs> if you ever see the videos I put up on uh, Facebook or whatever, or whatever streams, Facebook or TikTok or whatever, you'll see the six posters behind me. Uh, that's each year from the last six years. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I made some cheeky comments about it when I saw you post it on Facebook one time because one of them's a rectangle and the rest is square. <laughs> oh yeah, that is annoying. But I literally I literally sit here at my desk looking at them. So you you want to know what year who played for the last six years? I can just look at that and go, oh yeah, it's sad nerd that I am for Bangface, but hey. I've got I've got a few of the posters and I've def- I've got a hoodie from the year that I played one time I played. So, but yeah, no. Not not having a sound murder there was a was a huge shame because I was so excited to see him. He's one of these artists that like I just never got an opportunity to see live when he was sort of playing in his prime. So I was like really excited to be able to like, I can tick that off the bucket list kind of thing. Well, hopefully next next bang face that happens, they'll get some of the acts that weren't able to come over. Oh, well, I'm sure it'll probably happen again someday. Maybe they'll, they'll sort it out. I'm sure. Sound murder back. But yeah, like, again, it's just calling back to the era of jungle that I found, the the sound that I fell in love with. And I think if you listen to a lot of the music I make, you can hear that this is where I'm taking my core of my inspiration from. And if you didn't know, if you didn't know these sort of tunes, now you know where I get all my tricks and tips from. <laughs> and we need to get some more DJ tips off you as well, mate. I think um, it's interesting you build up a sort of, everyone, everyone who DJs, after a few years, you get your own sort of, tips and tricks that you just keep to yourself sort of thing you know yeah i don't really know what my tips and tricks are to be fair i think learning to play vinyl first as my original definitely had a huge influence because there obviously there's a lot of skill in getting things in time having to be aware because vinyl goes out of time just because of the physics of the the motor and things um so learning that way and a lot of the way i learned to play was at free parties you know there wasn't like an hour to play you just have a sort of indefinite amount of time to go through all the different genres you like and mess around i still do quite often play like four six eight hour sets at free parties we throw and i'll play everything from jungle to breakcore to tech to well i'll I'll switch swap and change carrying on the mood and the timing but yeah tips and tricks i just think a lot of when I'm like working out sets for gigs and things, it's just trying ideas out, not being afraid to like mix stuff that maybe doesn't sound like it will work as well. As for like technical stuff, I don't think I use anything that's that that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> 
the tips that I've built up over the years is while he's played stuff that people can recognise and understand, you play stuff that's too experimental or left field and people aren't getting it, you can lose your crowd, right? Yeah, but I'm also one for like, you can mix left field music in to stuff that's not so left field and people enjoy it if it's built in the right way. So I've, uh, I've played a lot of sets where people have been quite surprised by where it's gone. Um, especially I've played a lot of sets to people who are very used to commercial drum and bass and not so much, say, like hard drum and bass or crossbreed or breakcore, but I've built up to it. So I've started off on slower, sort of more approachable stuff and built it up and built it up and then maybe played something that's a bit scatty into something that's got a 4x4 four four before fading out to the scattiness and it kind of gives people time to think, like, get, sort of, I guess, understand it. I was actually at a flea party a few weeks ago. I was chatting to a guy I know up here who's come to see me play many times. He's a very nice guy. And he was like, I never know what to expect when you play. Because I often don't, like, you know, you, you know some artists, they play their set. Where I quite often, like, go, you know what? I've played so many Ragged Jungle sets. I'm going to play, like, a crossbreed hard drum and bass set just for the fun of it or I'm gonna like play stuff that's like more obscure and just or I'm gonna play a tech set or something you know like yeah I, do, I don't like to just play one sort of music or one style as quite often I'll have I kind of think about my sets in 15 minute blocks and I'll try and do like 15 minutes of sort of upbeat raggery stuff and then bring it into harder raggery stuff and then maybe go into breakcore maybe go into tech or you know it's just sort of a bit of everything so it's not just one consistent sound and that's what I enjoy when I hear a set as well very much the sets that stick in my mind are ones where they chop and change because even in a like right now I'm working on like a ravey footwork to ravey breakcore set with a bit of gabba in the middle <laughs> and I don't think anyone will expect that from me because I don't really make ravey music but I love it I still really enjoy it just because I don't make it doesn't mean I don't want to play it you know so I think people in Scotland have probably heard me play more more of a range of things because I feel more comfortable playing, especially in Edinburgh, just playing whatever I feel like or catering my set to the night I'm playing at where if I get booked to come down, I'm getting booked as Jam Ninja. So it's kind of like, you know, I have to sort of, I feel like I'm more in, uh, obligated to play Ragged Jungle and a bit more techie stuff just because that's what people know me for from my music. But yeah. So the most important thing in DJing is try to relax if you can and most importantly, have fun. Yeah, have fun. Get lost in the music. A lot of people say I look a bit bored when I'm playing, but it's like, I'm not bored. I'm just very, I'm either concentrating very hard or I'm just like, I'm not someone who's saying, like, I've seen a lot of DJs who are very interactive with the crowds. Um, for whatever reason, that just doesn't come naturally to me, but I am having a good time and I am bouncing in my head. I'm just kind of like, I'm trying my hardest to make sure the mixes are really smooth and it's a really great experience for people. But... So look, we're missing this one, mate. Tool, band that I've never really understood or got into. Um, totally weird and psychedelic and just a little bit dark, it's been described as. Tool, Parabola, what am I missing? Yeah, so uh, again, this is from time when I was uh, a metalhead and listened to a lot more rock and metal before I really discovered electro music. I found, I discovered Tool around the same time I discovered the Pixies. 
so it's almost like those things in my head correlate. Um, but I think that description, weird, psychedelic, and dark, is really good. I've always loved them for those reasons. I've also loved the fact that they're all their songs, well, not all of them, but a lot of their music is in really odd timings, like 7A and all this, and it jumps and changes, and it's it, it's progressive. So my dad was into like Led Zeppelin stuff, and I listened to a lot of that sort of rock, you know, younger, and that's progressive. And then hearing that done kind of with metal, and once again, going back to like lyrics, I think the lyrics of Tom, God, I've got his name's just totally gone out of my head there. Uh, James Moon and Keaton are just, they're unlike anything else. They're really kind of like esoteric, and he sort of calls it a lot of like esoteric philosophy and spirituality and stuff. And I'm not like someone who's big into spirituality, but I do think there is something in the way he emotes things and the way he puts, um, writes lyrics that talks to me. I think also at the time, you know, I've, I've dealt with like depression and problems with mental health throughout my life and then at the time when I discovered Tool, I think they really spoke to where I was. For me again, it's just one of these like, it's very nostalgic, but I also really, really appreciate the musicianship in them because especially the drummer. Another band that really inspired me to want to play the drums because I feel like Tool are one of these like math rocky kind of bands that are driven by the drums in so many tunes and Parabola or Parabola, Parabola as it's sometimes known because on the album there's two tracks and one's kind of like an intro to this but yeah, just a wonderful band, wonderful one band really wish I got to see them again, I've not had an opportunity to or I've missed my opportunities to but yeah Floor Cleaner for Suffering from 2007. So yeah, DJ Floor Cleaner, Death Sucker Records. Oh, no, 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 no. So this next one, DJ Floor Cleaner, Suffering, 2000. Clearer, yeah. No, no, don't correct me, man. That's the point. I'm going to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck it. Carry on. <laughs> um, but yeah, Death Sucker Records. Um, kind of the same era that I discovered Breakcore, this was coming through in Digital Clearer. Very much has a sound that's very close to stuff like Limax and that hard drumming bass. Uh, but it's also got metal samples, it's all, but it's way more scatty, much faster, more rag. And I've just always loved it. And I just I just picked this one because I also really like the sample. It's from Princess Mononoke, um, the, the boar god, I forget his name, at the very start. It's like this, what he says to the, the lead character, and it's just a brilliant, 
brilliant quote, and it's just the whole song is just mental. There's like no consistency to it. It's challenging, I think is a good way to describe it. <laughs> when I was doing the research, yeah, Death Sucker Records, I'd never heard of them. Um, and I look it up on Discogs, and it's quite a back catalogue there, spanning uh, 12 years. They've got some amazing releases from lots of great artists. Uh, it was run by Parasite, um, who's also won Peace Off and things like that. But yeah, you've, like, I think a lot of Stig's early stuff was out on that, Fox Die, just like quite a diverse range of music as well. So there was, there was Jungle, there was more drum bassy stuff, there's loads of breakcore, obviously, because they were kind of a bit breakcore label. But I think, yeah, there's just so many releases they put out that I love, basically. So a big shout out to them and to Parasite. Um, but the DJ Floor Clearer, used to make such crazy breakcore like this and then a bit like Cardo Pusher and some other people he just swung towards like dubstep when dubstep became a thing and it just stopped making breakcore and it kind of felt a bit um bandwagoning I guess because you don't hear very much breakcore that sounds remotely like this these days there's definitely some artists and labels putting a few tracks out but it's just wild it's just totally wild yeah. I suppose for any artist though, you know, you're going to stick to a genre of music um, and if something catches your eye and, and moves your heart and you're like, that's the music I like now, you can see why people do it, right? Oh yeah, like, but, well, I do have a lot of respect for DMZ, uh, Mala, quite early dubstepy stuff, but when it all became very brosep and wob, 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 wobbly stuff, I just kind of just... I just lost interest. I felt like it had no soul. These full clear stuff wasn't too brosep, but it just kind of like, I guess I'm just like, I love his breakcore and I just want him to make that forever. <laughs> it's maybe a selfish. Oh, that's ghastly shit, yeah. There is good dubstep out there still, like what I would call now original dubstep sound. A lot of people still doing it. Um, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some very like some cool more more on the dub deep bass wob, like not the just mad synthy LFO stuff that came out. And I have to be honest, there was a brief period where I kind of thought, oh, this is kind of cool, it's heavy and all that. But then it just all became very homogenized, and I was like, actually, it's not that interesting. I wonder what happened if you played like 140 dubstep at like 180 or 200 BPM. What do they actually sound like? I have to try that out after the show. Uh, I've done it. It doesn't sound great. <laughs> I, I, I would say, like, if you're going to play, like, 140 dubstep, play it into a 280 breakcore tune as, like, a breakdown. <laughs> or slow it down and put it into, like, a sort of French core kind of stuff. Because I've heard quite a lot of French core and hardcore that has kind of dubstepy breakdowns. It's still out there. It's all become what's now classed as EDM, but EDM was all electronic dance music as far as I was aware. Yeah, EDM's a tricky term. I don't really know what it's supposed to describe because I would have always called electronic music as electronica, right? Electronica covers everything from ambient, you know, right up to speed hardcore shit. Yeah. Well, I think EDM was kind of taken by American producers and stuff to describe their mainstream bullshit, yeah mainstream bullshit music. Um, I was trying to be slightly polite, but it is fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful music. Um, and then you've got Rhythm, which is another thing that came from dubstep, which personally I cannot tell what the bloody difference is between the two. Rhythm is just 
a terrible name for Brostep because rhythm should just stick to this original term of being the backing instrumental of dancehall, being a bit of a purist there, um, or you know, talking about the rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. It's a Jamaican patois term. They could have like taken that and turned it into something that almost has no relation to where it came from. And now onto something which I think everyone should be able to agree on, Joy Division. Um, early on you said Led Zeppelin, I always think it's a Led Zeppelin. Joy Division, if people don't like that music, there's something wrong with them, right? <laughs> yeah, I do think there's something about Joy Division which is quite unique and sort of soulful, like the combination of like very high-pitched synths and guitar and stuff with Curtis's like really low, quite gritty vocal. It's like they're so juxtaposed, but somehow they just made it work. And again, like for me, Joy Division, I discovered them uh, in the same batch of CDs that my dad gave me with the Pixies and fell in love with them instantly. I just found, like, again, lyrics really interesting, sound really interesting. It's only through Joy Division that I have any love for a lot of 80s music as well. I don't think I would have really delved into 80s music without finding them. And I know they were slightly predated the, the wave of 80s music, but how much influence they had on us is undeniable. I think UK music scene as well, because they're part of Factory Records, which is of course often hailed as the foundation of acid and acid techno and felt like a large foundation of like northern wave scene. So, you know, they were part of a label and a movement and a time which was so important and so pinnacle to music throughout the UK. Did the UK rave scene originate from Manchester? I don't know. I sometimes I some, I sometimes feel they've just got a better marketing department than the people in Bristol and London. Oh yeah, no, I definitely think it came out of Bristol and London. Very much so. But I think it was through Factory Records that it managed to move north to Vegas. And they definitely did like did it more commercially. I do think you have to give them some respect. Oh, absolutely. I've got the spirit. So, artists, they, they signed and promoted you know, Happy Mondays, for example, another really great band from that era, Factory Records. Yeah, I picked this Joy Division tune just because I've always loved the lyrics. Uh, I guess it's, they speak to me because they're a bit like being a bit lost in your life, not really knowing who you are. And yeah, I've felt like that many times. And it's not necessarily one of the most well-known songs. They've got some amazing songs out there that I could have chosen, but I felt like I wanted to choose one of their songs that really talks to me necessarily, not necessarily one of the ones that is really popular, so to speak. So yeah, this is the first Joy Division song I ever heard as well, because it's track one on Disorder. So when I played this album, this was the first thing I ever heard of this. So there's a, probably an element of sentimentality there as well. As well, I didn't realise as well, Joy Division, I always thought of them as mid-80s, but they're actually before in 1976, and this came out in 1979. Yeah, so I, I guess because they were, like I was speaking before, because they were so pinnacle to 80s music and influenced so many artists and part of Factory Records, which were also pinnacle for the 80s music. Yeah, you assume they were in the middle of it all. I definitely have that in my head, even though I kind of know that they were very early on. But I think it's also because 80s pop music got closer to a genre sound more to the mid-80s. It's almost like their influence took a little while to propagate, because there was definitely a lot of like more of the sort of cheesy pop stuff. And then you had... Also, that's like Kate Bush and people like this, all this more, I guess, obscure, esoteric kind of music, which is absolutely amazing, coming out, and loads of other great bands and great songs that have a more of that sort of slightly dark kind of sound coming to them. But I guess it's also the, the, the birth era of goth, so. <laughs> Big time. Did you know The Fall as well? Fall, great band, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I love the fall as well. Like uh, my flatmate when I was doing my undergrad introduced me to the fall with Marky e. Smith, and I fell in love with him straight away. Especially Marky e. Smith, he's he's a very interesting character. If you've ever watched interviews and documentaries with him, in them, very strange character. But it does feel a bit odd talking about Joy Division and what have you when we're listening to Istari Lastafaha uh, on his record label Sozlista Plattenbau. See, I've got all this off by the top of my head, mate. You can tell me the title of the song, though. I'll, let, I'll leave that to you, yeah? Oh, I, I've never been able to pronounce the title of the song, which is hilarious because this song is hugely um, sentimental to my rig because when we first built our HD15s, which were our first kick bins, this was the first song we ever played off of it. And to this day is the last song we ever play at high. So when we're like, we're shutting down, we're going to end the party, someone plays this track. And it's got this huge sentimental value for us then. Um, I also discovered the track because I used to do graffiti when I was a teenager for a bit, and I used to draw this character that was a pink rabbit, and I was painting him everywhere. Uh, and this, the EP this is on is called The Rabbit Within Me. So my brother bought the record, almost purely because of the name, to give to me. And then we heard the music and thought, this is absolutely amazing. And it's also just it's just a lovely electronica, atmospheric sound to it. And it's another one that builds, so you're about to come up to like this like sort of final drop in the tune, which is just lovely. If you listen to the whole tune for you, it just it builds to this drop spectacularly. Nice, yeah. Hysteria, I mean he makes some amazing music. Big fan of his stuff. Oh yeah, that's a fan of Hysteria. From this record I discovered him and then proceeded to buy everything I could. <laughs> but yeah, this this track like it almost brings a little tear to my eye every time I hear it, just because of you know the amount of good memories, amount of free parties and events and well, things we've done over the years and they've all been they've all had this as like a crescendo, you know, so it holds a lot of memories, so I had to put this one in. When I was picking my tunes, this was the first one I wrote down. <laughs> without, without question, I was like, this tune's going down, but it's going at the end. <laughs> yeah, well, quite quite poignantly, you brought us to the end. Thank you for taking the time to set the call. Well, thank you for your interest. Um, it was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Flattering to be asked to be on, because I've never done an interview or anything remotely like an interview like this so i don't know this you say this isn't an interview it's just a chat which i understand it is but it, it was it's very rewarding uh, i guess and encouraging I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word here but it, you know it's really pleasant to be invited on yeah well this is good to have you on man i mean you know big fan of your music and all the rest of it and you do a lot of good stuff so uh, thanks very much anyway and uh, i'll catch you soon probably at the next bang face yeah Yes, thank you very much. Hopefully Bang Face happens next year. We're all looking forward to that. All right, cheers. <laughs> Bye. All right, cheers, mate. Bye now.